I'm Jen from the Frugal Friends Podcast, and when I'm not cutting the end of the toothpaste tube off to get that last little bit of toothpaste, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamins Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's time to get really good with money because today we welcome the budget nista herself, Tiffany Aliche. She'll share 10 steps to be financially whole, which I know a ton about because I've been in a financial hole my whole life. Hey, yo, <laughs> just it comes so easy to me some days. Anyway, plus what cars last the longest? Hondas, Chevys, BMWs? We'll ask that question to Carl Brower from iccars.com during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Sarah, who wants to help her little brothers get started with investing. But what's the best account to use? And with them heading off to college soon, she doesn't want to mess with them getting financial aid. Man, this is a juicy one for sure. And I'll wrap this puppy up by sharing some of my wonderful trivia. And now, two guys who should have invested in El Caminos a long time ago. It's Joe and oh, J-J-J-J-J. Not sure if El Caminos made the list, but we're going to find out here soon. Hey, everybody, welcome to Wednesday. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and it's time to rev up the engine, because, baby, we got the Budget Nista here with us today, OG. I don't like anybody touching my budget. Except the Budget Nista? Well, actually, probably somebody needs to, <laughs> to be honest. Get the OG household budget back and running gotta, today. Gotta get, get Whip it into shape, yep. We're about to find out how from her. We're going to talk to Carl Brower from IC Cars. What are the top cars when it comes to longevity? But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We got a great show, the Budget Nista, Carl Brower. Let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline 
today comes to us from Yahoo Entertainment. I don't know if you saw this, uh, actor Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields? That's a name from the past. She's still doing movies? I haven't seen any. I don't know, but she, um, what was that TV show she did that was, that was so good? I love, I love the show. It was her and the guy from The Breakfast Club. Uh, you know that show back in the day, the one thing about the whatever, that one, you know, and stuff. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? We I get, we're making such good radio when we do that. Uh, inside Brooke Shields, terrifying accident and her struggle to walk again. I'm a fighter. She says it felt like it was all in slow motion. And then I just started screaming, says Brooke Shields of her accident at a downtown New York city gym late January, where she fell off a balance board, flew up in the air and landed with such force that she broke her right femur. Ouch. Sounds came out that I've never heard before. She tells people shields 55 said the injury left her wondering if she'd ever walk again. So when EMTs arrived to place her on a stretcher, survival kicked in. So I kept saying, I can feel my toes because I was so afraid I was paralyzed. She needed surgery to insert two metal rods. Oh, gee. The reason I bring this up is just another reminder. I mean, she's just working out. How many times have you either gone out for a run? <laughs> you, you, you haven't gone out for a run. Zero. You know, you jump on the Peloton or you're lifting weights and just something goes like you're doing all the stuff you should be doing, or yeah. you're just going out to get the mail, little icy slip on the ice and bam. Like you don't know when a disability is going to hit. Yeah. What now what's ice? Cause we don't really have that. Actually we do. I can't even use that joke anymore. Cause we had that whole week of crappy weather. That's right. You know, and it's, it was public. So, you know, we couldn't even like just kind of slide it's it under. Snowmageddon. Mm-hmm. No, that's the, I mean, illness or injury, right? I mean, we think of the word, when we think of the word disability insurance, we think of, you know, a wheelchair or we think of some image of being disabled whatever that means to you and your brain, but it's really not that it's sick or injured. It's sick or hurt. And, uh, what, I mean, how many people in the last year were sick for a long period of time and couldn't work or sick in the hospital with COVID. Right. And you've got great examples recently of this one, of course, and just before this tiger woods, you know, in his car accident, you know, you, you just don't know when that, when that stuff's going to happen. Like mom says, it's not you, it's the other guy. Yeah. And worry about how you're going to behave. And we think all about us, don't we? I mean, we, we truly do. We think, oh, I'm safe. I'm a great skier. Things are going to be fine. Uh-huh. I wear my yeah. seatbelt, right? It's yeah. not about you. Yeah, and you can be all those things and still have an accident. You can be a great skier. You can always wear your seatbelt and all that sort of stuff. So I think Brooke Shields learned a lesson here. Don't work out. Don't work out. I think out. that's the, yeah. what are you doing yeah. working out? <laughs> it's a tough way to learn that lesson, but uh, no, I, I mean... We have, you mentioned the Peloton. We've got the Peloton at home. And I've seen video. This is kind of graphic, but I've seen videos. It's it's hard to explain. Have you seen, have you, have you actually ridden on a Peloton before, Joe? No. So unlike a normal cycle bike, it's got like weird clips for your shoes. So you're actually just kind of resting your foot on top of the pedal, but it clips in. Okay. But there was a thing early on with Pelotons that uh, on occasion those pedals would break off. So your foot's in there and you put all that torque on there and it snaps off. 
right? But your other foot's connected to the machine still, you know, and you're pedaling. So I would always think like, what would happen if this thing snapped off and my other leg's going, yung, 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 you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what, what breaks? Like what snaps? Because something's going to go. That didn't happen to us, thankfully, but it did happen to somebody I knew kind of on the internet and it cut the inside of his ankle. Oh, like it snapped off, and then there's like a piece that just, like, oh, like, sh- you know. Oh, yeah. I think they uh, settled up. I think Peloton settled up with them before it got too, you know, too public, and they fixed the problem near as I can tell. But I mean, even stuff like that, right? You're doing the right thing. You're riding the bike. You're exercising, and yeah, a piece of plastic breaks, and you broke your ankle. And now you can't do that for a while. A lot of people listening to this will say, well, you know, that sounds great, OG, but I've got disability through work. Disability through work might be enough, right? But maybe not. Yeah. Well, it's not enough. It's, I mean, unless your living expenses are really, really, really low relative to your income. Most group plans, first of all, it's awesome if you have it at work. It used to be kind of a given that you had it, but companies have made adjustments to their benefits program. So if you do have short-term disability or long-term disability or both, it's a, you know, it's a really great thing, but you have to read kind of the rules about it. Long-term disability plans generally only cover your base salary. They're not going to cover the cost of your benefits. They're not going to cover the 401k match. They're not going to cover your quarterly bonus, your stock award, you know, it's just straight up base salary. What will cover your gambling habit? Your addiction to GameStop stock, Uh, none of that. So, you know, that automatically takes a little bit off the table. And then the second part of it is generally it's 60% or 66%, right? It's a third or two thirds or, you know, roughly around two thirds of your income. So if you get any sort of incentive comp bonus, stock awards, whatever against your base, um, you know, that's not going to be included. And then they're only going to give you 60% of your base salary. And then that money's going to be taxable. So, you know, you, kind of start knocking this down here a little bit, you're probably closer to 45 or 50% of your salary net after tax in your pocket. And and I don't know a lot of people, there are some, but I don't know a lot of people that are running, you know, 50% households, you know, maybe after Tiffany gets done with them, they'll be down to like a 50%, you know, spending plan. But you know, what we tell people is when it comes to disability coverage, when it comes to income protection, if something bad happens and you have stuff at work, uh, or you have a supportive uh, family, either a partner that's going to keep working or, you know, family close by or something, the likelihood of you not having food on the table is pretty low. So it's not about the necessities. Disability coverage, if you buy it on your own, if you add stuff to your group plan, isn't about, well, how am I going to pay the electric bill? Because 50% of your income should cover your mortgage. It should cover the electric bill. It should cover some food. But what it doesn't cover is it doesn't cover your ability to save. And part of that money that you're earning every year, you're setting aside so that you have money in the future. You have money, you know, when you're 60 or 65 and your group plan will end when you're 60 or 65. And if you haven't saved anything, the group plan ends and that's it. Now you can tick on Social Security. Well, what's Social Security based on? The amount of money you made. Earnings. What if you were sick or hurt? You know, you had an injury that you couldn't work for forty-five to sixty-five. Well, you get, you know, your social security is going to be impacted quite a bit. I know there's disability social security, but my point is, is that individual coverage isn't meant, I don't think, so that you have money to spend today. I think the individual coverage that you can buy on your own 
to supplement the stuff that you have through work, if you have it through work, is it, you should be thinking about that as you're ensuring your ability to still save money. This is why, by the way, financial planners consider this the number one insurance that people overlook and that they need. I think that in household world, like our friends listening to you and I chat here, OG, we all think of life insurance as the number one thing, right? I would guess. Maybe car insurance. Uh, well, most places you got to legally have that. But my yeah. point is disability is the one that you talk to any financial planner. I don't think they're going to say anything other than disability. What's, what's the number one thing you need to cover? Disability. Well, I think it's interesting if you, if you peel apart uh, insurance coverages and recognize that it's all based on one formula. All, all insurance is based on probability times the magnitude of it happening. What's the likelihood of it happening? And then what's the check the insurance company has to write to make you whole? And that's how they figure out the premium. And just evaluate the differences here. We have a 2017 Toyota Sienna minivan. It's got 55,000 miles on it. And uh, it's loaded. I got to be, I'll be honest. It's got a video screen in the back and cup holders. Well, cu- it's even cu- got leather. Cup holders. Yeah. How much is a car insurance for that car, do you think, for the year? I'm not even going to be in the ballpark. Thousand bucks. We're paying about a thousand bucks, you know, maybe a little less, but about a thousand dollars. No tickets, no accidents, two 40 plus year old drivers, you know. It's about a thousand bucks. Now you go and you say, well, how much is a million dollar term insurance policy for a 40 year old who's in good health? And you go, huh, it's also about a thousand bucks. Why is it that my car, which is valued at 30 grand, you know, if they had to replace it, paying the same premium as my life insurance policy, which we know the outcome would be a million dollars and it's the likelihood of the event happening. And you say, well, okay, car insurance, I get it. You're more likely to get a car accident, total your car, than you are to get hit by the mail truck and die. Okay, how much is disability insurance for that same 40-year-old? Right, uh, you d- if you buy it on your own? Yeah, probably $2,000. Right, right. Maybe $3,000 a year. And you go, well, I should get car insurance and life insurance. That's two grand. I'll leave the disability stuff for some other day. That's three grand. I don't have that extra money. Well, if you just follow the the logic train here and go, what's the probability of it happening? And then what's the amount of money the insurance company has to has to pay out? Say, you know, you've got a policy that pays you three thousand dollars a month tax free, thirty six thousand dollars a year, and it's three grand a year for the premium. You're forty years old. The insurance company's going, yeah, we're writing that check. We, we're going to have to write someday. We're going to have to write that check for a considerable amount of time. So. Uh, I think it's worth exploring. I do think that income protection is probably one of the most important pieces from a planning standpoint, most overlooked. This is where a bigger emergency fund can help too, by the way. I mean, it doesn't have to just be insurance. You can eliminate some of that short-term stuff if you keep some money in cash. Sure. Well, and then that just goes, that's the same thing as your car insurance having a higher deductible. You know, if you have a $500 deductible versus a $2,500 deductible, that's going to be a different premium, considerably different premium. The same thing is true if you have six months worth of cash reserve versus a year. You know, if you look at that, again, going back to, to the income protection, that disability coverage, if you can say, no, nah, I've, I've got everything covered for the first year, but I want to cover that catastrophic stuff, you know, year two and beyond, 
that's going to change that cost structure again because it changes the probability of it happening a little bit of the magnitude, but more probability. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to solve it. I think the most important piece of this is going through the exercise of what happens if, like how, what would I do if I couldn't go to work tomorrow because I was too sick or too hurt to work? Where's the paycheck coming from? And what we like to uh, talk to people about is thinking about these events, these what if scenarios while you're of relatively sound mind, because trying to make tough money decisions at the same time that you're making a, or having a tough emotional time, you know, or a tough uh, physical time, you're not going to have a great outcome. You're not going to be able to make really good decisions in all of those areas. So game plan that ahead of time so that if something bad happens, you've kind of sort of already got a plan on the shelf. That's really the biggest uh, piece of this. And in our second headline, a new fascinating study is out from iccars.com. And this time they looked at which cars last the longest. You want a car, right? You probably want one that lasts. Joining us on my dad's shortwave radio, our friend Carl Brower's back. How have you been, Carl? Hey, I've been uh, doing well, you know, just watching the market keep churning. It's never boring in the car world. And uh, now we get to talk about which cars last the longest, which I think a lot of people care about. Well, and I think some people have cars that are going to last a little longer because they didn't drive them much last year. You must see now that we're starting to drive again, like people, uh, people visiting your website more than maybe in the last 12 months. Yeah, you know, we certainly saw a big drop off say, almost exactly a year ago, March, April. Things kind of uh, went really low on all lots of activity, I think, including website traffic. But honestly, it's been picking up really since like July, August and all. And now don't forget that just like you couldn't go anywhere or use your car as easily, you didn't have much else to do but sit in your house and go online. So I think actually a certain amount of websites, including the car website, benefited. <laughs> well, especially when you have studies like this one. Uh, walk us through it, Carl. What were you guys trying to look at specifically? What we do is we look at cars that changed hands in the used car market for 2020, 2020. And over that 12-month period, we were able to track almost a million used car sales a month or 11.8 million total for the year. And every time a car changes hands with our data streams, we can see, among other things, the, the odometer reading. What's the mileage that this car was at when it was marked for sale and or for purchase? And from there, it starts to become very easy to filter all that data on which cars are hitting 200 plus thousand miles, which cars have over 200,000 miles on their odometer during a transaction in the last 12 months or the 12 months of 2020. And from there, we were able to tell, wow, some of these cars have a high percentage of 200,000 plus miles on them and they're still being bought and sold, meaning, you know, they're still functional cars that people are wanting to drive. Yeah. That's just fascinating that you guys would even think of that. Cause we're all asking ourselves, you know, I want a car that's going to last forever. I, I wish I had a drum roll. Uh, I don't, but, um, what was the, <laughs> what was the car that came out on top? So the number one car that hits at least 200,000 plus miles right now is the Toyota Land Cruiser. And there's some irony there, given that the Land Cruiser is just been officially canceled by Toyota. If you're following the latest news in the industry, you know that Toyota officially announced that the Land Cruiser is going away after 2021. As a side note, we're seeing something of a spike in sales volume for the Land Cruiser all of a sudden. So like so many things with humans, you know, you don't know what it's got till it's being taken away from right. you and then you want it. So uh, <laughs> what's really interesting, though, here is that the Land Cruiser's percentage, the percentage of vehicles that changed hands that were over 200,000 miles for the Land Cruiser was 16.3. So 16.3 Land Cruisers that we were tracking were over 200,000 miles. Now, 
just to put that in perspective, second place was the Toyota Sequoia, another body-on-frame, large three-row Toyota. It was 11.2%. Third was the Chevrolet Suburban at 5.1%. And then we had the next all the way down to the top 16, and everything else is below 5%. So at 16.3%, the Land Cruiser is more than three times as likely to hit over 200,000 miles than number three and below on our list. Only the Sequoia was really above the 5.1%, and it was above 10 at 11.2. So those two Toyota large body-on-frame SUVs, they got it going on. Yeah, and and to your point, man, by so much too, so big a spread between that and the Chevy and the Ford. I mean, it's good to see a Chevy and a Ford being in the U.S. and being a Detroit guy originally, Carl, up there, but that's a long way from those two Toyotas. But looking at the top of this list, is the lesson that uh, trucks and SUVs are kind of the way to go? I think it certainly illustrates that when you have a body-on-frame, highly flexible vehicle, I think both its durability and its flexibility make people want to keep using it, both the original owners and then when they change hands, the second and third buyers. you know, I'm sure plenty of these cars that we're seeing hit 200,000 plus miles are not originally owned cars, but there's still a life left in them that second and third owners recognize. And these body-on-frame cars or trucks and SUVs, I should say, clearly reflect that in this list. What about sedans? I mean, the cars we see on the road every day. Yeah. I mean, the, we had two, what I would consider cars, you know, not truck trucks or SUVs on this list, uh, which were the Toyota Avalon at number six, and it was 3.9% of theirs. So still far off the 16.3% of the Land Cruiser, but the average car, by the way, just again, put in perspective, the average for all nameplates is 1%. So 1% of most cars hit 200 plus thousand miles. So the fact that the Avalon's only at 3.9%, it's still four times more likely, but it's also a fourth of the Land Cruiser. And then at number 16, the, the lowest we went on the list, which was at 2.6% of cars hitting it was the Toyota Prius. So you had another... Another couple of Toyotas on there. Well, and I think there's a sub story there. You know, Carl, as much as anybody, how much people like to uh, talk about the electric car battery and how difficult it is to get mileage from it. So for me, seeing the Prius on this list at all, I think is kind of a triumph. It is. And I think it should hopefully put to rest a lot of the fears that people have about hybrids in general, and maybe even electric cars ultimately, which is what do I do when that battery wears out? You know, well, the batteries don't necessarily wear out any quicker than like an engine or a transmission. You know, you could ask the same question. What do I do when my transmission wears out? Well, the same thing all the other cars do when their transmissions wear out. Usually that's a pretty high mileage issue, but that does happen. So hopefully people start to realize that with hybrids like the Prius making this list. And, and you know, the Highlander hybrid wasn't far off this mark, too. It, it, it didn't make we cut the list at two and a half percent because we wanted wanted only cars that were at least two and a half times more likely to hit the 200,000 than the standard average of 1%. But the Highlander wasn't far off of this list. You know, the Camry, the Accord, uh, there were hybrids and other regular cars on the list that were well above 1%, but they didn't make the 2.5% cutoff. Yeah, I see a ton of uh, Japanese auto manufacturers, to your point, a lot of Toyota, some Honda on here. I see the United States. You and I, though, Carl, we hear a lot about German engineering. I own a Volkswagen. I like our Volkswagen. I don't see any German cars on here. What's going on there? That is an interesting thing to point out, actually. And one thing might be that maybe depending on the kind of car, it's certainly like luxury brands and all. You don't see a lot of luxury brands on here either. You know, I think the Lincoln Navigator was the closest, you know, was the only one and it barely made the cut at 15. I don't think premium cars, which a lot of German cars are, 
maybe are not driven as much. It's not as much maybe the durability is just like maybe they age out, you know, because they're just not seen as these like get in it every day and haul things around, which a lot of these cars do. And that's what builds up their mileage. But you're right. Volkswagens make diesels and those are supposed to have long lifespans. So I am surprised we don't see more of them further up this list. I heard a rumor that if somebody wants to compare cars that you might know a site that does that. <laughs> uh, wait a sec. Wait, I have to look at my notes. Hang on. Uh, yeah, that would be uh, IC cars. You know, I think if you go to the website that we get all this information from, it's funny because we are doing so much high profile kind of data analysis, like what we just talked about, that people think of us as this high level data analysis source. But the truth is, primarily, it's a car listing site. And if you're looking to find a car somewhere in the US, whether it's within a 25 mile radius, or you want to filter for nationwide, you can, you want to go to IC cars, and you'll find all those listings for all the vehicles new and used, and filter on whatever you want, make, model, year, trim levels, mileage, price, location, whatever you want to look at. And we'll link to IC Cars on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Carl, great talking to you again. Thanks for bringing us another fascinating study you guys done. I love, love your work. Hey, it's great talking cars with you as always. And uh, yeah, let us know if you want to do it again. We, we try to do these studies every couple of weeks. So there's always some fun stuff coming out. Thanks again to Carl for stopping by. OG uh, Toyota, big winner in that survey. And I've got one. Well, not any of the stuff he mentioned. but You know, when we bought our Volkswagen, we tried some Toyotas and we really liked the salesperson, but all the cars we drove just felt a little plasticky to me. And it's funny that the no Volkswagens made this list. So what do I know? But when we bought the Volkswagen, man, you close that door and it just seems solid. Just seems like a solid car. And we've, we've liked it. There was a video I watched a long time ago about how car manufacturers make that sound for that exact reason. I had clients. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I've Client, I had clients when I was a financial planner and through referrals, they referred me to their friends. So I ended up working with four people in that industry, not only, not only uh, working on the sound the car door makes, but the spitting sound that the Harley Davidson makes and yeah. the sound that your golf club makes when you hit it right. Like one guy worked with Callaway and if you hit in the right part of the club, it would make a sound that was different to help your body more quickly adjust to, oh, I need to hit it like that. Basically a sound you've never heard. I've never heard. No idea what that sounds all about. <laughs> absolutely. Your clubs make absolutely no clue. <laughs> as they get tossed back to the golf cart sound. There's usually a splash at the end of it though. Oh gee. As it goes into the it's lake. A couple of cuss words and then clunk. This episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I think our takeaways here, OG, number one, have a disability strategy, right? I think we can safely end on, it's going to be a combination of hopefully have some at work, some at home, decent emergency fund, get your budget in order with the budget needs to coming up. 
but have a disability plan. That's probably the single most important piece. And I think uh, number two, according to Carl, I can't not say it, buy a Toyota. Toyota, if you want to sponsor the show. I'm not sure that is the takeaway, OG. I think the real takeaway probably is take a look at some of these stats before you go just fall in love with a pretty car. That might have been a better one than go buy a Toyota. Oh, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. Tiffany, the budget Nista Liche is an award-winning teacher of financial education, quickly becoming America's favorite personal finance educator. She has a book out right now for kids. I think I have to ask her about that book as well. However, she's created a financial movement that's helped over a million women worldwide collectively save more than $200 million, pay off over $100 million in debt. Of course, her own debt story we told last time she was here. We'll link to that in our show notes, by the way, if you want to go back and hear her harrowing story of not only being ripped off, but also making some bad money moves herself. Today, we're going to talk about how you can get some financial wholeness. Let's do it. Say hello to Tiffany Alice. And coming down the basement, socially distanced across the basement, our friend, the budget Nista, Tiffany Alice is here. How are you? I am so good, Joe. How are you? Well, I got to tell you, I feel great because you and I have spoken several times, but mm-hmm. there's so much about you that I found out in this book that I didn't know. Like, like uh-huh. I want to start calling you O. Adochi, Adochi. Yes. yes. Adochi. <laughs> I'm like my my friend Adochi coming down to the basin. You know, it's so funny, Joe, that when someone calls me Adochi, it like makes my head turn because I actually picked my own name, Tiffany, when I was in sixth grade. I was about like nine or something, or I don't know how old you are in sixth grade, nine or 10. So when someone calls me Adochi, I'm like, what elementary school did you go to again? You know, because it means that you're either my family or like you knew me before there was even the name Tiffany. And so for those of you like, what is Joe talking about? So I have this new book out, Get Good With Money, but in it, you know, I tell like the beginning, the origin story of the Bajanista, and it starts with you learning that my actual birth name was Adochi, but then I added Tiffany because my dad thought he was going to raise us, me and my sisters and my mom and all. We were going to be raised in Nigeria. You know, they decided not to. So instead, we stayed here in America where I was born. And um, he was like, you know, pick yourself an American name to go along with, you know, your African name. And so at first I wanted Renee. Then I wanted Jenny. There were so many random names. Can you imagine? It's Jenny, the Bajanista. <laughs> And then uh, my dad was like, and then I picked Tiffany. He's like, okay, that's a nice, sensible name. And so I'm Tiffany. <laughs> but that's being able to pick your name is pretty damn mm-hmm. cool, though, isn't it? It is. It is. But I'm not going to lie. It took me like five years to remember to answer to it because people would be like Tiffany and I'd be like, oh, me, me. I am Tiffany. Like, oh, hello. Hello. That's me. Literally, people would call the house because I have four sisters. And so they would call the house by one of our new American names. And we'd all be like, nobody by that name lives here. Oh, that's right. Your name is Tracy now. Oh, I don't know who that was, but I told her there was no Tracy. (laughs) There's no Tracy here. What are you talking about? Get away. I want to ask you more about your parents because I also found that incredibly fascinating and and a great story that I'd frankly never heard before. Before we get there. We're going to talk about this stuff from this book now, but you also just wrote a children's book 
And I'm wondering, as a guy who's putting the finishing touches on one damn book, the fact that you do, that Tiffany's always like, way, do, I, I'm always looking at you going, I can't keep up. But, but, but seriously, which one is harder, a children's book or, or an adult book? Because I think in some ways writing for children is even harder. Yeah, honestly, the children's book took me longer. I'll just say that <laughs> because it there's so much nuance of how do I fit in because it's a children's book, but it's it's a financially based children's book, but age appropriate. I actually call it pre-financial education. It's called Happy Birthday, Molly Moore. And it teaches children like what does more really mean? If I was this little girl, it's her birthday and she's excited about the party, but gets a little too excited about the gifts. And like, she starts to like, as you see, as more gifts come, she's like, forget family and friends, presents, 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 you know? And then when it's time to blow out her candle, everyone's outside enjoying each other. And she's inside by herself, blowing out her candles herself. And she realizes what does more truly mean? She decides that she's going to donate some of her gifts and really spend time with family and friends. So that's like a pre-financial education lesson for kids, giving, service, community. But it took me literally years because how do you tell that story and not be boring. Yeah. Um, in just a few lines because, and I also wanted it to rhyme. And so it rhymes. So it took me literally, literal years. And so it was really, really hard because I wanted it to be engaging for the reader, the parent, but also the child that's being read to. Um, I also have extended lesson activities and questions in the back of Happy Birthday, Molly Moore. But I'm really proud of that book. But um, yeah, that, I, I would kind of say they're almost equally as hard to write. You must have had to rely on your teaching background, too, yeah. I would think, about the best way to teach kids with story. Mm -hmm. So I used to be a preschool teacher for over 10 years. And what I would do, uh, Joe, back then is that like if I wanted to teach a lesson and I found that kids weren't getting it, I used to find an adjacent book to help extend the lesson so they can because kids have to see themselves outside themselves. So maybe you have a kid that is not really good at sharing. And so you read a, a story about a little mouse that, you know, their friends don't want to play because they don't want to share. And then, you know, like Jonathan is like, well, the reason why his friends don't want to play with him because he's not sharing. And I'm like, tell me more, Jonathan, the non-sharing kid. You know? <laughs> Isn't that weird that he's doing that? Isn't that strange? <laughs> and so what I found was that there were some lessons I wanted to teach, but there was no adjacent book. So I started to actually make up the stories to do so. And I used to like draw them out like stick figures on like um, on paper. And then slowly but surely, I always knew that there were a series of stories that I wanted to tell. And so I started um, the Molly Moore series and the first book is out and I'm, I'm just really proud of it. It's, it's done really well. It, it, the illustrations are, did you get to pick the illustrator or did mm -hmm. the, you did? Because the illustrations yeah. are gorgeous. Yeah. Well, I, with that book, I really wanted full control. So I did a hybrid publisher where the publisher helps with distribution and connecting you if you need an illustrator and graphic designer and stuff. But all the legwork of marketing and, and honestly, the cost of everything fell on me. So it was the perfect marriage for that book. So I chose the illustrator. They helped me with a graphic designer to put like the words on the page. I had an art director to make sure everything flowed. It was like I said, it was a big project, but it was something I really enjoyed. And just to see the thousands and thousands of families that have that book now, it's just warmed my heart. One more thing before we get to getting good with Bunny mm -hmm. is when you talk about stories, I mean, even mm -hmm. listening to your podcast, Brown Ambition, it's not just for kids. I think stories, man, adults are so damn hard-headed that, that <laughs> using stories, it seems to me now with podcasting, it's a great way to get through to people. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I use stories a lot. Also, too, like, so, like I said, I was born here. My parents were born in Nigeria, and it's African tradition to pass down history, to pass down lesson through stories. Sometimes as a kid, it would be annoying. He'd be like, Daddy, can I go outside? And he'd be like, well, one day there was an ant. The ant was walking and walking. I'm like, so I can go outside? Is it yes? <laughs> Is this a no? Just cut to the chase, Dad. Come on. Yes. But like a lot of the way that I learned as a kid is that my dad would share stories, whether these are like parables or stories that he grew up like with and stories stick with you. And sometimes it's hard to to remember these concrete lessons, but stories stick with you. You might not remember every specific detail, but you remember the over, you know, you remember the, the, the high level lesson. You remember how it makes you feel. And so to this day, like whether it's Molly Moore in my new adult book, Get Good With Money, I tell stories because I want the lessons to stick. Let's tell some of that story of your parents. Why did they decide to come to the United States from Nigeria? My dad always says that like United States is a, one of the only places in the world where you can make dreams happen. With Nigeria, so many of my cousins were, are like um, um, well-educated. You know, they have their doctor's degree, master's degree, but resources weren't as abound. So there might be this one job and 50,000 people literally apply for it. I mean, it's not even about how smart you are anymore. Yeah. It's not even about, you know, it's not even like it's not like, oh, well, the best, you know, if you just work really hard. No, they they just, you know, so he knew that he needed the opportunity to say, if I'm willing to put in the work, there's at least an opportunity for me. And so like he knew that like, you know, America is one of the few places where that was so where, you know, if you worked hard, you might not get everything, but you could get something like at least it was a real it was realistic to be able to say, I'm not going to be competing against 50,000 other super bright people, maybe five other people. And if I'm willing to do the work, I can beat them out, you know. And so that's why he he came here first. He didn't have much money. I think he said he came with like two hundred dollars. And then he brought my mother a couple of years later. They were already they had already been um, together and married in Nigeria, but he brought her over later. Um, I, can, I can just imagine, by the way, how tough that two years would be just yes. being being in one country and then all the way across an ocean. Yes. Uh, I mean, just I can't imagine that two years. I mean, because then it wasn't like now. Right. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you and I can Zoom or whatever. They couldn't mm -hmm. you just write a letter. Write letters, yes. And literally most of the letter writing, you would send it home with somebody. Yeah. You know, you would write a letter and say, oh, you're going to Nigeria. Well, what part are you going to? Can you please send this letter? So, yeah, it was hard. And when my dad first came, he told me that about these like rooming houses. And I was like, and, and so crazy because my, my life kind of mirrored his. And in the, in the book, I share how at one point I had to live in a rooming house because I'd lost everything during the recession. But that rooming house was different. Like I had a room in the rooming house there. He was like, it depended how much money you had for twenty dollars a week. You would literally just come home when it was time to go to bed. You would roll out your um, sleeping bag and it might be 10 guys to the room and you would roll out your sleeping bag, sleep, take turns, taking showers, go back out and find work. And when you had a little bit more, maybe $50 a week that you get a room. If you had a little bit more. So it was, I honestly, my dad is one of the people that I'm just like, <laughs> it, people tell me that I work hard. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You're like, like, the bar is high. You yes, have no idea how high the bar is. And I don't understand how you come here and you not only survive for yourself, but thrive. I mean, there's five of us. I'm one of five girls and all of us are college educated. Half of us have our master's. This is what he and my mom were able to accomplish. You know, none of us are like crazy. You know what I mean? Like all of us are like, you know, we still we have great relationships with ourselves, with our uh, siblings and with our parents. I mean, what my parents have been able to accomplish 
has been nothing short of amazing. I literally have women like, so I call my audience dream catchers or like the, like Beyonce's beehive, the budget needs to have dream catchers. So, so many of the dream catchers say like, your dad is my dad in finance. Because he poured into you, Tiffany, you pour into us. Like, you know, there was nobody in my life to teach me about personal finance, but through you, your dad teaches me too. And I told my dad, you have a million daughters, daddy. <laughs> He's like, no more daughters, five girls. No more daughters. I was just thinking, I have one daughter and uh, you can see my hair. I mean, I, I just can't, can't, just can't imagine. But that still has got to warm your heart. I would think that would be so cool to have. And by the way, I will be one of those people that talk about how hard you work because there's a lot of nights where I'm going to bed and I look at my damn phone and it says, Tiffany starting of an Instagram live. I'm like, my God. <laughs> yeah. So the work part for me is more the behind the scenes CEO stuff, like emails and this and that. Yeah. I actually really love teaching. I, I couldn't love- tell. I could not tell. I had no idea. <laughs> So when you see me do the Instagram, like to me, that's not work. I don't know if um, you remember the book, The Four Hour Work Week, right? Yeah, sure. Right? Tim Ferriss, yeah. Right? So one of the things that like he wrote, it was like um, just working four hours a week and people were like, oh, that's BS. But what he meant was the activities that you enjoy, even if it's quote unquote technically work, he doesn't consider that work. So even though I'm going live and I'm teaching and that's what I do as a budgetista, I don't consider that hour of me live work. I'm yeah. literally levitating yeah. when I'm teaching. Like it is, it is the thing that I was created to do do. And it brings me so much joy to teach, whether it's teaching through teaching live, whether, you know, I'm I'm doing a workshop seminar, whether it's a book, you know, whether it's a course, I have my own podcast with Mandy Brown Ambition, whether it's our podcast, I truly love teaching. It's not work to me. It's a fun part for me too. Just sitting here talking to you about this is just an absolute (laughs) blast. Your parents very big on education. You admit in the book, by the way, that you were the wild one of all the, yeah. of all the kids. I'm Nigerian wild, so like a C minus here and there, <laughs> and like you know, <laughs> and a, and a note home from the teacher. Tiffany talks too much in class. That's what I call Nigerian wild because you were not allowed to get <laughs> like a real wild. No sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not no, not mm-hmm. in Aranda Luce's household. I, it I, was I, like, <laughs> what is this C minus? Are you a drug dealer? I'm like, it's just a C minus. <laughs> oh, thanks to go from A to Z there, dad, like to make the big jump. Uh, what about financial education though? Your parents big on financial education? Huge on financial education. My father was a CFO and an accountant. So he used to teach us like literally technical things like here's how you budget. Here's how you save. Here's how you invest. Even now, my dad is almost 80 years old. We talk every week at least. And he will ask to see my my business's finances because he used to be an accountant and a CFO. He like double checks, you know, and then he gives me advice. And then my mom was more hands on, meaning so like you would sit with my dad literally at the table and do the our family's budget. And my mom, she would take you food shopping, clothes shopping and show you what does that look like in real life? How do I decide how much food to buy? How do I decide, you know, which clothes to get? How do I decide what's a sale, what's not a sale, what's a deal, what's not a deal? And she would like walk us through. Everything was a teachable moment in our household. So I was fortunate not just to get the like mechanical stuff at home with, with accountant dad, but also to get the real life application with my mom. She was a nurse with my mom. Um, and so it was awesome. I love the ice cream story in the (laughs) introduction. Would you mind telling us that story? Sure. So it was my very first introduction to financial education. I don't even remember it. Actually, I remember it from retelling it because they told it to me so many times. They thought it was hilarious. So you like four years old. 
Yes, I was like four or five, you know, so we didn't have much money. And then by the time I was four, I had my older sister, Karen, who was six. And I had my younger sister, Tracy, who was two. And then maybe my sister, Carol, was like a newborn. But anyway, like we didn't have a ton of money during the summertime. You know, kids, ice cream, they just go hand in hand. And so my sister, Karen, and I used to play outside. Sometimes a two year old would come. But I knew that when the ice cream truck came around, that I couldn't always get ice cream. But if it was my day, my dad assigned one day a week to all of us. That's so smart, by the way. You know, like if it's your day and the ice cream truck comes because he knew that there was a delight in like going to the truck and picking your thing. And so he was really good at that of like also delayed gratification, you know, like you don't get ice cream every day. You get Mm -hmm. the one day a week. Exactly. But then what he also did, too, because, you know, kids are little. So if I was getting my ice cream that day, my sisters knew they could go inside. My mom would get like the little um, cones and like we would have like, you know, just ice cream in the freezer. So that way it's not like just Tiffany's eating ice cream, you know, because that doesn't make sense for kids. Like you could the sisters knew I could still get ice cream. I just have to get the inside ice cream. And so ice cream probably was like 50 cents, 75 cents then. And so you would go inside, get your dollar. I think it was about a dollar. You would go inside, get your dollar. Wave down the ice cream man and be like, yes, it's my day. So I apparently was obsessed with running water. I don't remember, I guess. I know. <laughs> and so I used to run, turn the water on in the bathroom. And if you turned it off, so if you remember little ones, like it's so easy to be like, well, don't let your four-year-old keep the water running. Do you see what happens when you tell four or five, three-year-olds no? The meltdown that they have, you're like, I don't, maybe I should just give them the house and walk away. I, I think I'm like, I, my niece and my nephew come over every week. Amelia is three and Roman is five. When Amelia has a meltdown, I just want to be like, what do you need? You want my money? You want my, I don't, what, what do you <laughs> Please take it. Just I need to make the screaming stop, right? And so apparently I used to have a royal meltdown when they turned off the water and my dad was trying to figure out how do we convince this four-year-old to stop turning off the water and walking away? Because I wanted to hear the water no matter what room I was in. And I was very feng shui before it was very hip, obviously. So he was like short of like, you know, like, are you going to ground a four-year-old? And so what they decided was, okay, what he decided was the next time the ice cream man came along, it was my day. I came inside and he's like, oh, you just missed the water man. You know, I was, I didn't know there was such a thing as a water man. There isn't. I found out later in life. (laughs) And he was like, well, every time you run the water, the water man comes to collect a dollar from me. But this time I didn't have a dollar. So I had to give him your ice cream day dollar. Needless to say, I had the most epic of epic meltdowns. And I wanted them to call the police and find the water man and bring me back my time. But <laughs> did you ever run the water again? I ne- Even now, I'm not going to lie, Joe, when that water runs too long, I get like anxiety, like, turn it off. <laughs> but it was such a great lesson because what my dad effectively did was he matched what was important to him financially to what was important to me as a child. Ice cream was important, not water. But now all of a sudden, because ice cream meant that I could not have, I mean, water meant that I could not have ice cream. I also cared about the water bill now. And so it's one of the best ways to teach your children. And those are the type of lessons and, and things I teach inside Get Good With Money. Your book is all about financial wholeness, which I find <laughs> just a wonderful term, financial wholeness. But what does that mean? What's the breadth of it? So financial wholeness is when all 10 aspects of your financial life, there's 10 core aspects, are working together, are harmonizing together to create the strongest financial foundation possible. People are wanting to be like wealthy. They're wanting to, to retire. They're wanting to have all these things, but without a very strong financial foundation, then none of those things can be built. You know, Or you can build on them, but then the smallest little gust of wind will knock down the rest of your financial life. And I know because I've You know, my financial life was a mess after the 2008 recession. And so I wanted to write like this step-by-step guide of how do I build 
the strongest financial life out there that doesn't require me to have a specific job, that doesn't require me to make a lot of money. It doesn't matter, you know, what gender I am. Because I, it's not fair to say, because this is what I don't like about just pushing toward financial freedom. Be, like, you know, the thought that maybe one day I'll have a pile of money, I don't have to work anymore. Yes, some people will achieve financial freedom, but that's not available to all people. And the teacher in me never likes to teach a lesson that's not available to all people. I'm not going to teach calculus to preschoolers because maybe one preschooler will get it, but that's not available to all kids. We're, le- we're doing letter shapes, numbers, colors. And so financial wholeness is the fundamental financial. So it's budgeting, savings, debt, credit, learning to earn, learning to invest. It is getting good with your insurance. It is having a money team. It is your net worth and it is estate planning. Those are the 10 components. So I can show you how to build strong foundations in all those 10 components. And then anything you do on top of that you're going to just be able to rock and sock. It's basically like the pre the prerequisite to the rest of your financial life. That's what financial wholeness is. You know, I loved about it too, when I was reading it was the fact that this idea of wholeness also is as much about how you feel about your money as how you are. Because you even explained that when you were here last time, you told the horrible story about getting ripped off and about having to move out of your house, just the horrific tale there. But in this book, you talk about how you're paying off your parents' mortgage, you're paying yes. cash for stuff, but yet mm-hmm. you feel more insecure and that's okay. And that really mm-hmm. it's about building this foundation. So you feel great about your money. It's not about how much yes. you have. It's about how you feel. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So I found that like, I actually was closer to financial wholeness when I was a 25 year old preschool teacher because I had more than 10 components. And then what happened was that like my foundation or really my emotional foundation was, was shaken after the 2008 recession. And as a result, I forgot all of the lessons about financial wholeness. And I just focused on pile of money, pile of money, pile of money, pile of money. That's why I can honestly say financial freedom is not enough because I achieved financial freedom. Do I have to work anymore? No, but I was improperly insured. I had no estate plan. So you have this pile of money. Something happens to you. Your family knows nothing about what you want to happen. Are they going to squabble? Is it going to, you know what I mean? Like what happens to your business? You have to, if you have a business, you also have to plan for that if you're not going to be here. I was not leaning into any um, expert financial advice. Like I wasn't, I needed a certified financial planner, like a wealth planner for where I was now. I didn't have that. So I had this pile of money. I was actually more financially insecure than before. And that's when like the light bulb lit up in me and said, Tiffany, financial freedom is cool and I'm glad that we're here, but you are missing a holistic view of financial of your financial life, which I've now achieved. So I'm not scared like I used to be. I'm not like, well, something does happen to me. I know exactly what's going to happen. We have our estate plan. I am properly insured. Literally the insurance policy I had like now as like Tiffany with four businesses was the same one I got when I was 26. My certified financial plan and my CFP was like, Tiffany, what the hell? Like, if something were to happen to you, like, this insurance policy doesn't cover anything. Like, if, if someone were to sue you, your company, this doesn't cover anything. And so I'm just, when I tell you, it brings me such peace. I am a worry word. I'm a nervous Nelly. I promise. Like, I, I don't like scary movies. I don't like roller coasters. You know, I, I lean more toward the safe side. So for me, Money means security. And I wanted to create a path for this financial security for other people so that they can then fly and do whatever else they want to do with their finances. You start with budgets and not with debt, which I very much appreciate because I totally agree there. But what's the piece of the budget that people get wrong? Let's give people just a little tactical advice from the book that they can take and walk away with. 
Well, the piece of the budget that people get wrong is that one, that they think budget is like restrictive. It's your say yes plan. Budget is there to say yes if, yes when, yes or. I always say like budget is like your mom, right? Like, mom, can I have dessert? Yes, when you finish dinner. Mom, can I go outside? Yes, when, if you finish your homework. Budget, can I go to Morocco? Yes, if you reduce like your, maybe you just cut your cable for six months. Budget, can I, you know, can I buy a Peloton? Yes, when you save enough, you see? And so that's one thing that they they mentally get budgets wrong, that they are there to accommodate you. You are the boss of your budget. And two, I think that not enough people realize that there are levels of control in your budget. So I teach you how to break down your levels of control. It starts with the B's. Those are your bills. So I like to list my expenses and I put a B next to all of my bills. These are things where you have these like contractual obligations. You must pay these things or else, you know, someone's going to come for you. And then you put a U in front of the B's that are utility bills or bills based upon your usage. So like that way, like, yes, water. <laughs> <laughs> on that one. Electricity, you know, so your utilities. And then everything else is a C. Those are like your cash expenses. C also stands for choices because that's where you really have the most choices when it comes to your spending. And so the reason I teach that tactical tool, because if you're like, I want to do a thing and I don't know if there's enough in my budget, most people start looking at their UBs and your Bs. Mm -mm. Go to your C's first. This is where this is your cash expenses where you have your choices. It's, you know, haircuts. It's things like eating out groceries. So it's those places that you have more of a choice. Can you trim that first? And then if there's not enough, then you switch over to your UBs where you have mid-level control. Can I lower my utilities? And then you jump over to the B's if you really don't have enough. Like, are there some things like maybe, you know, I refinance my house if I really need to. Maybe I, um, when my uh, apartment leases up, I move to a studio instead of a one bedroom. And so that's something that I teach in the book. And I think it's going to be so helpful. The book is Get Good With Money. You mentioned all these things and then you get very specific and say Morocco. Like, is Morocco on your brain? Do you want to go to, or are you just ready to to travel again? I've been to Morocco. I've been to over 30 different countries, Morocco, Greece, Turkey. I love to travel. And so that's what I'm wanting. I think people think they hear Bajadista and you think like, lack, 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 less, less, less. And I'm like, no, more, more, more. I want you to live more without that. There's nothing worse than like, I call it taking like a stress nap, right? So, you know, you have so much work to do and you want to take a nap. So you take a nap, but it's not restful because you're like sleeping, but you're like, oh, that's what I have to do. And that's what we do with our money. We stressfully spend. You know that you're supposed to do these responsible things with your money, but you kind of want to have fun. And so you choose the fun, which is nothing wrong with choosing the fun. But imagine if you had the fundamental straight that you can spend and be like, well, I'm not worried because I know my bills are paid. I'm investing. Retirement's looking good. So I've got much this. calmer. So much exactly. calmer. So you can truly enjoy your money in the way you're meant to. And that's what I'm wanting for people to not live less, a more restrictive life. I want you to live a fuller, more abundant life and really enjoy your money responsibly. We'll link to the book and to the children's book and uh, the Brown Ambition podcast. I wish you were doing something on our show notes page at <laughs> stackingbenjamins.com. Adochi. Adochi. Yes. Thanks, yes. thanks for hanging out with me, talking money. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joe. This is awesome. Hey, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Speaking of financial wholeness, maybe it's time to fill that hole in my own financial life. When I looked at my crazy holiday calendar, I noticed that today's a day to celebrate because the first Mercedes-Benz was finished on this date all the way back in 1901. While my El Camino has served me well, I'm 
kind of wondering if this hole in my life could be better filled by a little Mercedes two-seater. I mean, who can be moody when you got a nice leather interior, updated digital display, not to mention zero to 60 seconds. Like just getting to 60, that would be a step up for me. This actually makes me think of a good trivia question for today. What European car brand sells the most cars here in the U.S.? I'll be back faster than my El Camino can go from zero to 60, which it might be a little while. Maybe never. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Uh, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st, so get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh, God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Hey, stackers. You know how I was leaning towards getting myself a Benz? But have you seen those Audis? If I'm going European, I should just step up to the Porsche. But I like looking. Who am I kidding? You only live once, right? Let's shop a little further down south and get myself the Mac Daddy of them all, Lamborghini. Or, uh, you know, a Lambo, as we current and future Lambo owners refer to them. I can't go saying a five-syllable word every time some peasant asks me what kind of car I drive. That'd just be exhausting. That's like signing my full name every time I get asked for an autograph. And the last thing I need as a Lambo owner is to be exhausted. We prefer you eat our exhaust. Before I go do the online pre-order, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what European car brand sells the most cars here in the U.S.? Well, using Q4 data from 2020, coming in at number three was Volkswagen. At number two, our friends at Mercedes. And at number one, it's BMW. No BMWs for this guy. It's time for me to go get myself a Lambo. Lambo. 
I like this idea of being financially whole, by the way, thanks to Tiffany for hanging out with us today. But OG, I love this idea because it isn't so much about the money. It's about your life and your experience, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything she talked about was money related, but it's not about that. That's just a means to the end, feeling financially whole, feeling secure, feeling like you can get there is a big part of winning confidence. I think having a, uh, having an idea of what's most important and just moving in the direction that you want is critical. But that's the piece that we miss. I think a lot of people that are really good with money miss that. They don't sit and seriously think, what do I actually want? Because we think we can answer it with just the four letters M-O-A-R. Wait, <laughs> I don't know if you did that on purpose. I did, because it comes out, oh. it doesn't come out more, comes out, I want more, more. I think you're just trying to cover your cover yourself now. Give me all of it. Yeah. You can't just say like, you know, I've got 200,000, I need 300,000. You know, you have to have... You have to have this long range goal. You have to be able to break it down into little bite-sized pieces step-by-step along the way. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. More. (laughs) With an A. More. More. You can go get more while you're not filling out these long, cumbersome insurance applications that a lot of companies have. With Haven Life, their insurance is simple. Their application is also simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Price are affordable. They're issued by the parent company, Mass Mutual, which is 160 years old. So you got the backing of a company that's been there before. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life to check it out. Today, we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our friend, Sarah. Say hi, Sarah. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Sarah from Richmond, Virginia. I'm calling because I have a question about helping my younger brothers get set up to learn how to invest. I'm interested in purchasing maybe some stocks or some ETFs for them to help get them excited about investing for their future. My youngest brother is 16 and... My next youngest brother is 20 years old, so I'd really like to create an account for them, but I'm not sure the best vehicle to do it. I know that for my older brother, he could possibly do a Roth IRA. He has earned some income in 2020, and I know that we can set up a Roth IRA for him before the April deadline and possibly invest in there. I'm not really sure the best route for my youngest brother, and I'm also not sure the implications in terms of how this will affect their college funds and financial aid in terms of having accounts and their names, if that will really reduce the financial aid available to them. I don't expect to learn anything, but you guys always make me laugh. So be sure to send me a t-shirt. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Hope to see you later, Sarah. Thank you. And at least we make her laugh or one for two. We can't teach her anything, but we can make her laugh. Well, we can try. The financial aid issue, if they're getting financial aid right now, Sarah, that might be a little problematic uh, because it will count against them when it comes to financial aid if it's in their name. But um, but what are you thinking, OG? Yeah, I mean, to kind of talk about that first, I think, since you brought it up, the financial aid stuff, you know, the government wants to count 
a third of whatever the student has as uh, usable for a year of school. So it would be impactful, but I don't know how much money you're trying to start with. You know, if you're, if you're yeah. like, I've, I want to put in $800,000 for each one of my, my brothers. It's like, okay, that's going to affect it. If you're like, I want to put $200 in, I don't think that's going to affect it. <laughs> but it's still, it's like, if you're putting $1,000 in, that's $333 of student aid that they lose. I mean, that's a, that's a chunk of money. It's a relevant sum. Yeah. I mean, it's something, but also that's a good lesson. Like, I mean, it's, you can't show your, the government all your money because they will f- steal it from you. <laughs> see, see, this is what happens. You can't have anything nice because yeah. the government comes and takes it. It's exactly it. What a lesson. What a lesson at 16. Well, but for the 20 year old, I mean, if the 20 year old has one year left to go in college. Yeah. Maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Then, uh, then maybe hold off. Now, could she put it in? Could she put it in her name initially with them as a beneficiary until they're out of college and then uh, gift it to them? I would think. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, assuming it's not too big. I mean, even if, even if it is a big gift, there's just a gift tax return, which doesn't mean that there's going to be any tax associated with it necessarily. I wouldn't want to be in my twenties and hanging on to a gift tax return for the rest of my life. But yeah, so you can, you know, that would be something, you know, uh, 14,000 bucks you can give away a year to a person. So you can put it in your name. Uh, we like stockpile, you know, it's just such an easy app and it allows fractional ownership of stock. Other companies are getting on board with that. I know Schwab has their little stock slices now, which is kind of the same thing kind of running stockpile out of business because Schwab's doing it for free and stockpile charges 99 cents a trade. But I just like the idea of them being able to see the brands, you know, now for the, we use that for our younger kids, for, for an older one, I think the Roth IRA is a good idea, you know, earned income contributions, you know, up to your earned income or 6,000 bucks. You know, we have seen the impact of contributing money to a Roth from 20 to 30 and then never again. And how that turns into millions of dollars, you know, when you're in your 60s. So that's super, super, super important. And you have until May this year to do it, uh, your tax filing deadline. So you've got a, another extra few weeks. But for something like that, I would definitely be just considering an ETF or, or, or a mutual fund. I think the biggest thing that you can do is make sure that you get your brothers invested and not in the sense of doing the money, but invested in the process of talking about it and have them help you with the solution, you know, whether that's, Hey, I need you to look at these five different choices and tell me what you see, you know, just have some sort of skin in the game associated with the process. What's worked really well for us is juxtaposing the dividends that the stock portfolio is paying out for the kids versus the bank account interest every quarter. You know, they have more money in their stock portfolio, but not 50 times more money. So when they get their dividends and it's like, hey, I made 50 cents in dividends. The kids are like, uh, who cares, 50 cents? I go, I know. But the bank paid one. The lesson is, is that the bank's not where you want to keep your money for investing, you know, because you get one cent. And I understand that 50 cents isn't anything also, but it's 50 times more than one. So just, you know, think about that as you're putting money away in the future and then I think the hardest part for young people to gather is the power of compounding. It's just a really, really, really tough thing to understand and, and to look at it and say, you know, yeah, okay, I put a thousand bucks in. That doesn't mean anything. It's like, it, you're right, it doesn't. That thousand bucks is almost nothing in the grand scheme of things. 
but it's the thousand bucks every single year for the next 30 years that turns into something. I'm glad you brought that up because I thought the same that investing the way that you talked about coupled with some education, like maybe OG, one of the books by some of the great authors we've had on this show can really help. I mean, my son got great inspiration from Scott Trench and Set for Life and Ramit Sadie. I will teach you to be rich. My daughter got great inspiration from Bola Sucumbi at Clever Girl Finance and also uh, from Aaron Lowry at Broke Millennial. So what do you think of that idea? It doesn't have to be a book, but some sort of getting them, you know, I love your phrase, getting them invested. Yeah. I'm just trying to think back to when I was 16 or 20. Um, I'm not entirely sure that it would have been super fun for an older sibling to be like, hey, so I got you three books to read about money. <laughs> you know, but I don't think it'd be three, though. I think it'd be one, you know, and no, no. if you and if you and if Sarah phrases it right, like, hey, this guy knows how to st- Scott Trench knows how if you start early at your age, you can set yourself up forever. Mm -hmm. Like how great will that be to be, you know, use a really old age if he's 16, like 31. Yeah. Like by the time you're 31, you're just kicking it. Yeah. It's more of an uphill battle, I think, on the book front. But um I see Nick, you know, because obviously Nick went went down that path and he, for lack of a better term, drank all the Kool-Aid and is killing it. But I wonder if that's more personality style. And frankly, he was done with school, right? It's not like he read it when he was a junior in high school. He read it when he was done with college and he was working at his job and, you know, and had extra savings and stuff at that time. Or No, he got the, he got the Scott Trench book when he graduated from high school. No, well, see what I know. See, yeah. thanks for uh, helping me along the way there, buddy. You're supposed to be like, yeah, 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 yeah anything yeah. I can Help do to prove your point. throw you under the bus. Yep. Beep, beep. I could have, I could have hit thump, pause thump. there and just said, beep, beep, thump, thump. No, anything. <laughs> Anyways, it's a great idea. I mean, helping your family out, I was going to say, helping helping push them in the right direction is great. The hardest part is keeping them on the path. You know, it's hard because you're going to, you care more about this probably than they do at this time. But the best way to do that is surround sound. When you find fun TikTok videos, the, some of these hilarious videos that we share that are ridiculous, like I think, I think keeping it fun and light is a good way to get them involved. Uh, obviously, uh, and Sarah doesn't sound like she'd preach at her brothers, but hey, older sister, you know, there have been times when I've, I'm, I'm the oldest where I've inadvertently preached to my siblings. Oh, I preach. It doesn't go over that well. And you're not even the oldest. I am the oldest by far. <laughs> and I preach. And the most mature. Good looking. Richest. And the most. I was playing golf uh last night on the xbox with a few people my friend mike said i am the most egotistical person by far i don't know i might get him <laughs> you give him a give give mike a run Feel for his like money i'd give him a run for his money i do i just thought it's great if you're gonna if you're gonna say you're egotistical you're the most egotistical yeah you're like an 11 on the ego scale by far Thanks for the question, Sarah. And of course, for being brave and calling the Haven Lifeline, we're sending Sarah some swag. You kidding me? Of course we are. And uh, you're going to love it. 
most comfortable shirt, most people tell us. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. If you'd like to be like Sarah, ask uh, ask away. We love chatting about money with you. Speaking of chatting about money, if you want to hang out and chat more about money with us, you can find us on our Facebook group, The Basement, StackingBenjamins.com forward slash basement. Also, if you want notes for our Monday and Wednesday show ahead of time, including uh, some additional didn't make the podcast stuff. You know, we usually start with this mountain of ideas and we boil it down to between a 60 and 80 minute episode of financial fun. But if you want more M O A R (laughs) stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker and every Sunday night and Tuesday, you'll get this, uh, ride along, I almost said summary, but it really isn't a summary. A guidebook? It is a guidebook, yeah, with additional resources and fun. Uh, sometimes we've got uh, some hilarious YouTube videos in there. Other times, links to websites that make the points that we're making on this show, kind of where we got it from, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Plus, you'll get my money lessons with that, and you'll also find out what's going on as COVID starts to go away, we're thinking about getting out of the basement, which means uh, this time next year, OG, hopefully we're going to be seeing a lot of you near the town where you live. As many as we can find, we're going we're gonna to come find you because nothing better than hanging out with a bunch of stackers. And last, if you need a fellow smart stacker in your corner, who's also a financial planner, OG and his team are taking clients, that means you can have the most egotistical guy in the room and his team, but best. So (laughs) there's that. You got that going for you. As as your financial planner, stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG to get to their calendar. That's going to do it for today. OG. Thanks for hanging out. Doug, you got it from here, man. Uh, We got a lot of people to thank. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. If you buy the right type of car, it can last you a long time. Second, take a lesson from Tiffany Aliche. There are 10 steps to financial wholeness, which doesn't mean making more as much as it means taking care of what you have. But the big lesson... I just went to pre-order a so-called Lambo, and have you seen what those things cost? I mean, come on! They break down left and right, and insurance on those things. I mean, come on. I mean, it's just through the roof. Plus, all the people gawking at you, who needs that? Nope, I am sticking to my El Camino, which has nothing to do with cost, I assure you. I just don't want the inconvenience of having to service that Lambo thing all the time, you know, and, and all the people like looking at you. And I get enough of that every day. You know, I'm, I'm a practical guy. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Would you like to get good with money? If so, you can learn more from Tiffany Aliche by heading to thebudgetnista.com or check out her new book, Get Good With Money, a 10-step plan for finding peace, safety, and harmony with your money, no matter how big or small your goals and no matter how rocky the market might be by the inspiring and savvy Budget Nista. 
You'll find it wherever books are sold. Thanks also to Carl Brower from iccars.com for joining us. No Lambo on his list, so there's another reason not to buy one. Of course, there's no El Camino either, but I think that's just an oversight, isn't it? Carl, that's an oversight, right, man? This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. On the note of thanking people, I want to thank all the people that uh, wrote in. And, and we had a lot of people write in and say how much they like our new guidebook for the Monday and Wednesday shows. I didn't hear from anybody who doesn't like it, who, who really had a problem with it. And I would love, by the way, if you do, if you don't like it, please send that to me too. We're always trying to make the show better. And I thought we'd have a fairly serious after show here for a second, OG, about, you know, people don't get to look behind the curtain at the making of the show. And if you're here this late in the program, you're not here for finance anymore. Might be here for some funny stories, but you probably listened to a few episodes already, or maybe you've been listening for a year or two years, or maybe even since the beginning. The show has evolved a ton, especially in the last few months we have really focused on a bunch of things. Let's start off with just the making of the show. We've also focused on just, just the writing of the show a lot, our writing meetings uh, with Taylor and uh, Doc G and sometimes a guest or two are probably one of my favorite hours of the week besides coming on and, and actually doing this recording the show. But something we're also trying to do more of is uh, is be on social media and have uh, more chances for people to, to just ask questions, to just get out there. And I find, and I don't know what it is. I don't know, OG, if it's the fact that I've been, you know, we've largely been to ourselves for a year, but I find myself craving that, you know, just craving groups of people. A big, uh, a big dinner party. Yeah. Yeah. Or jumping on Instagram and chatting with a bunch of friends or, you know, whatever it, whatever it might be. There is a new social media channel coming out that we have been 
privy to uh, helping to help launch. I can't say anything about it yet, except the fact that it's coming, but it's really exciting. And I can also say, I think I can say that um, while I really don't like Clubhouse, this fixes all the problems that uh, Clubhouse has, or at least a bunch of them, fixes a bunch of the problems that I have with Clubhouse. And uh, right now we're actually, have you gotten your, your invite yet? Have they let you let you in? No. No? And you applied, right? I didn't do anything. You didn't fill out the application? There was no nothing to fill out. Oh, there's a whole, there's a, okay. I, I apparently didn't send you the right link then. I don't know. And you said to wait or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> this is, this you, is a great after show. It's, you well, tell me more about the stuff and the yeah, place or the yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much just, it. But I mean, I tried. I clicked the thing that you sent and it just said tough patooties. We'll let you know. Maybe I did feel something. I don't remember, dude. I feel stuff out all the time. That's all I do is fill out stuff. I'm a filler outer. Actually, I'm not. Jody's more of a filler outer. You're not a filler outer. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that we did last Friday with uh, Podbean, thanks to them for inviting us, by the way, to be part of uh, Finance Podcast Week. Want to do more of those. Of course, the big tour coming. If you're going to be in Cincinnati in November, uh, join us there for our live show and uh, I'll be speaking at economy uh, conference there, Dinah Miriam's conference, but a lot changing here in the basement. OG, And of course you change subtly because there's so much stuff that we like. We don't make uh, big glaring changes, but if you go back and listen to a show from six months ago and you listen to a show from today, we have uh, we've definitely been tweaking the engine. You just had to say that because you're watching that Formula One thing. I love that Formula One thing. I totally do. That Formula One, even if you don't like racing, I'll tell you again, I know, I I think I said it on Monday, didn't I? That I just flip in love. F1 Drive to to Survive. Just a great documentary. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.